What's going on, my friends? Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West, and I really hope you like it. <laughs> hey, welcome. Second episode of 2021. We are coming in strong. I am so fired up for today's show. My guest today is someone who I actually heard speak at my church at an online service, and I felt like it was such a powerful message for the new year that I reached out to him on Instagram and asked him to come on the show, and thankfully, he said yes. Now, this guy is a former NFL football star. He's now the pastor of Transformation Church in South Carolina. He's climbed the ladder of success and discovered that, you know, sometimes chasing happiness can be like what he says, chasing shadows, but he's discovered a way to find the kind of happiness that this world promises, but it can't deliver. So today we're going to unpack some of those powerful messages from his latest book, The Good Life. Get ready for today's episode. It's going to be awesome. Without further ado, let's go to the story house with my friend, Dr. Derwin L. Gray. Derwin Gray, thank you for joining me today. It's an honor to have you. Thank you. It, uh, it's an honor and privilege to be with you, and uh, I've admired your your ministry, your music for years. So thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot. And uh, I'm sure you were uh, paid by my team to say those kind words at the beginning. But um, but hey, well, I- they, they did send me some Starbucks gift cards. <laughs> and so, you know, is that your love also, language? Uh, they gave me a, a coupon to Sam's Club, which could be very bad. I tell my wife, Never let me go to Sam Clubs alone because they take all my money. So what happens? You walk into Sam's Club with maybe one item or two items on your list that your wife gives you or something, and then yeah, you know Sam's Sam's Club is like one of the few places in the world where you could buy a fishing boat <laughs> and um, a wheel of know, cheese a watch at the same time. You know, yeah. it's, it, and then they have like a secret compartment that's like really cold. It's yeah. like the vampire lair. Now what's in there? I mean, just all types of goods. Like meats, you know? meats and meats, <laughs> cheeses, you know, uh, uh, charcuterie boards, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, like whatever I, you need, man. Now that's my love language, man. Like, I mean, as if you couldn't tell, like a, a cheese plate or something like that, man. We, well, <laughs> we go to, so we have, uh, I mean, Sam's club and Costco are kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, that's dangerous though. I mean, you can get, yeah, I mean, actually I go to Costco, not Sam's Club. So. Okay. All right. You yeah, forgot so, who, you forgot who your sponsor was, huh? Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is we're giving them a lot of head play. So they need to <laughs> send us some coupons. You know what I'm saying? And we've mentioned both. So if either one wants to call right now and endorse uh, Derwin and Matthew, we, we would take that endorsement, wouldn't we? We would. Cause I love to fish and I need a boat and can't afford one. So I'm down. Okay, so fishing is a passion of yours? Oh man, fishing is a big passion. I I love to fish. Uh years ago I was I was uh working through one of my pastoral ministry classes and we were talking about counseling and the counselor said um draw a picture of the most meaningful time from your childhood. And so as a former NFL player, people would automatically think, well, of course it's something to do with a football, but in reality it was a picture of me and my grandmother under a tree fishing. Wow. Because fishing was a time of peace, tranquility, conversation. And so now uh, when I go fishing on my Sabbath, it's a time of delight. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of appreciation. And I love, 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 love to catch fish. But even if I don't catch fish, it's still a good time because of the memories but also just enjoying God's creation. Now, is is your Sabbath? When do you have your Sabbath? I mean, you're a pastor at Transformation On Church. Friday. Okay. Yeah. So every Friday. Yeah, Fridays is when I have my Sabbath time, and I want to encourage everyone that's listening: make sure you have a day of de- delight. Most people think that Sabbath is like a time to, um, 
you know, be miserable. And no, Sabbath is a time to do things that replenish you, that recharge you, that re-energize you. It's a day of delight. Like it's not a day to plan for your next day. Right, right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Word every day, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a disciple and I love Christ. And so, Sabbath is a time of saying, "God, you got this." And in our busy American culture, we live in this tyrannical pace of achievement. And I think that in the midst of this horrific. COVID pandemic, one of the blessings is that we've had to slow down. And what's happened is when we've slowed down, we've actually come in contact with who we are and it's scaring us. A lot of things that we've allowed to live beneath the surface and be busy about have been exposed, like marriages are are, are having a tough time. And, And so what I would say is let us not waste this pandemic. Let's make sure we're allowing Jesus to do the work in us that he wants to do. And his greatest work is to make us like himself. Yeah. The busyness can be just as much of a, of of a, um, something we find that soothes us and hides what's really going on underneath. Just like somebody might reach for a bottle. Somebody might reach for, for a drug. Somebody might reach for, um, you know, an affair, you know, a lot of people that one of the lowest hanging fruits is, is that going for the busyness just, and I'm, I'm guilty of that too, just staying crazy busy and not choosing to take a Sabbath. You talk about the importance. You just said you spend time with the Lord every single day. Let's start off by talking about just how you achieve that discipline. You know, my dad's been a pastor for 38, 40 years. And I always ask my dad, I've asked him on several occasions, like, dad, does it ever get easier to like, manage that discipline how come how come my tendency is always for for that part of my day to get knocked off my schedule how do i continue to train myself and grow in that discipline of daily study and opening my bible and spending time with the lord yeah you you know so the first thing that I, I i would say is i didn't grow up in the church i came to faith at 26 years old and so as a former nfl player This is one thing that I knew, that if I knew the playbook, I could play great in the game. I would know my assignments. I would know what my teammates were doing. And so when I became a Christian, it just just made sense that God had a playbook too called the Bible. Now, here's what you know about being a football player. You don't just study the plays one time throughout the week. You're thinking about it all week. And so when I became a Christian, people were like, make sure you have a quiet time. And I was like, well, (laughs) I need God all the time. Wait, use that voice again. (laughs) Make sure sure you have a quiet time. (laughs) And it's like, well, okay, I get the sentiment, but I need the Lord all the time. I need the Lord when it's noisy, when it's chaotic. And so without knowing it, Scripture memorization, marinating in the scripture is, even right now as I'm talking, there's a file of scripture just going through my mind, right? And so what what we want to do is, yeah, I get up in the morning, but it's not a, a regimen like today I'm reading the Bible right now. You know, it's just as I'm going throughout the day, you know, I'm marinating. Yeah, I do have set times, but more of what I want to say is, is this. The same way that we need oxygen is the same way that we need the Word of God. The Word of God transforms and it informs and it draws us to Jesus, right? The the, the Bible is about Jesus, not about us. It's about Him and what He's done for us so that we could participate in His story for His glory. That's that's where the transformation comes. And so I don't necessarily, necessarily see it as a discipline but more of a delight. Like, you know, Dang. like it's not a discipline. Like, oh, I got to go make love to my wife now. It's a <laughs> right, right. No, I'm I'm eager. I'm, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. And as Paul says in Ephesians 3.8, the unsearchable, the incalculable riches of Christ. It's like, I can't get to know him if I don't spend time with him. And, you know, maybe I'm just a simple old fo- football player who learned the lesson. The better you know the playbook, the better you play in the game. Well, God has given us a playbook. It's called the Bible, and it's the game called life, and he allows us to live our life through the power of his. 
That's awesome. Derwin, just even the flip of that switch from discipline to delight, I mean, like that, that means something to me right there. Coming from, like, I grew up a preacher's kid, and I think I maybe, you know, not my parents teaching necessarily, but I don't know. It just always felt more heavy-handed on the discipline part of it. And then, then you start getting to that point where you're like, oh, man, when I miss a day, I'm beating myself up and then the enemy sees that way in and starts and then you wind up missing two days and then you're just discouraged. You feel guilty going back and or sometimes when you're reading your Bible, and you're like, What's my what's my goal? What's my motivation here today? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like is Ian, I would I would ask you too. It's interesting because there were times like when I was writing my last book, I got convicted even then, going, Man, I don't know that I've ever ripped through the pages of my Bible more than when I had an agenda to write a book. But I tell you what, I felt like the Lord spoke to me in that Derwin was, Hey, how do you know that I'm not using this book to get you to discover the delight of, of diving into my word? And what you were saying about having a file of scriptures in your head, have you discovered, this is one thing I felt like I've discovered in 2020 is, you know, the Bible talks about hiding God's word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. And when we hide God's word in our heart, it will not just come in and out, in one ear and out the other. Like hiding it in our heart means it's there. And there's that, um, like that old movie, Total Recall. There's that recall that, and I've found in more than one occasion where God's word has come back to me in 2020. Uh, and as we head into this new year and on more than one occasion, just a scripture maybe I didn't even know that I had memorized that I worked on or, or remembered as a, at a young age, and it would hit me at just a moment when I needed it the most. Has that been the case in your life? Absolutely. It's kind of like um, when Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, uh, met Mary, and John the Baptist leapt, leaped in her womb. You know, it's it's like well, we are impregnated with the Word of God, and the Spirit of God causes it to leap in our in our wombs. Um, I want to address. Something that I think is really important, and it's not only for pastors' kids, but I think it's for all kids. Like even my own kids have had this um, this pressure, and I think it's a pressure from the enemy. I think it's a pressure from just by human beings. We're wired for performance. We're wired for yeah. self worship. Also, I know that my children want to please me more than anybody else. And so when you're not familiar with grace, you think pleasing your dad or pleasing your parents or pleasing God is what you do, right? And so I think there's a lot of Christians, and I want to talk to the to the PKs who may be our age. Who That's are still me right there. That's me. Like, with the guilt, grace is greater than guilt, God does not guilt us. And at the end of the day, as much as my children love me and as much as I love them, they're not living for me. They're living for an audience of one. And the audience of one lays out a table of grace. And he says, come and eat free of charge. I've paid the bill. You are welcome here. You didn't earn it. You didn't achieve it. It is only a gift that you can receive it. Derwin, I had uh, somebody in the music industry who works with me had made a commentary on my music, and they were like, man, you got a lot of songs about grace. <laughs> and I said, you know, have you, you've heard it said that a lot of times, like, preachers preach about what they need the most or what they struggle the most with, or you, you've heard you know, something around that nature sometimes, and I was like, man, the, I looked at, I went back and listened and looked at some of my old songs, I'm like, Grace wins. <laughs> All yeah. these songs that are like about the topic of grace. And I'm like, man, these are songs where like I need to embrace the message that I'm singing for other people because what you just shared are healing words. And it comes back from that flipping the switch from discipline to delight, from guilt to grace. That's, that's a powerful word that I need to hear today. Yeah, man. Well, brother, we all do. And I think one of the beauties is if we're not preaching grace, then what are we preaching? Right. The Apostle Paul says in Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared to all men. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live upright lives. So grace is not only what brings you into the kingdom, 
Grace is what grows you into the kingdom, and grace is what delivers us safely home in a new heavens and new earth. And from all the steps, it's us participating with God's initiative. But the good thing is this, grace is everything that's true about Jesus is true about me, and it's true about every follower of Christ, period. Right. Like, there's nothing else to add. Right. Like, to be in Christ means that Christ has meant and became everything I could not. And so now I live in him and he took my place to give me grace to create space in his family. It's not passive. As a matter of fact, it's easier to live by self-performance than it is by grace because grace means I am a beggar with my hands open. Performance means I'm doing it. Come on, That's what Paul says, my grace is sufficient. So speaking of performance, you, you speak with such authority on this particular topic. What you just shared, you spoke it as if you were someone who had turned that corner, had experienced maybe life with the mentality that it was up to your performance to validate yourself or to present yourself to the world as as a top achieving performer. And I know your story. And at the beginning of uh, your book, The Good Life, and really throughout your book, you share your testimony, your story, but you're somebody who who knows all too well what it's like to have that performance mentality. And as, I, as I'm talking to you, I see some of the uh, mementos of of some of the, the peaks of your athletic career. Yeah. And uh, talk a little bit about how you were raised. It sounds like you were not necessarily raised in a, in a Christian home, right? You said you, no. you, you didn't come to Christ until you were 26 years old. Is that right? Yeah. And I hope people get the context of what I'm saying is when I talk about grace, I am smoking what I'm selling. Yeah. I am communicating out of one who's been touched by grace. And so growing up in San Antonio, Texas, on the West side, uh, my mom was 16 when she was pregnant with my dad was uh, 17. So there were babies having a baby. It was a rough environment. Of course, like when you grow up that way, you, you don't you don't know that it's rough. It's only after the fact that you look back. But my point is this. Uh, we didn't go to church. Lots of dysfunction, lots of violence, lots of chaos. I experienced things that no child should ever experience. But that's what happens in a broken world. Right. At about age 13, that's when I told my grandmother, I was like, I'm not going to be like everybody else here. And football became my way out. So the human heart is going to worship. Even atheists worship. Worship is simply this. My identity, my significance, and my purpose is found in something. And so we cannot help but worship. So we didn't worship the Lord. So football became my functional God. It gave me affirmation. It gave me identity. It gave me mission. And so by my senior year, I was one of the best players in the state of Texas. And I got a football scholarship to BYU, which is incredibly diverse. It's multi-shades of whiteness. And, <laughs> That's uh, what I was going to ask. I was like, wait and, uh, a minute, BYU. And it's a Mormon school. So people say, well, why did you go there? I went because it was as far away from Texas as I could get. Wow. Um, I didn't re realize how traumatic my childhood was now that as a 49-year-old man, I could look back like, man, that's that's traumatic that you wanted to go that far to leave. I knew I was going to be on ESP, ESPN. I was going to play for a great coach. I knew I was going to get a world-class education. I knew I was going to play early. So went there, uh, became one of the best players to ever play there, met my wife my freshman year. We've been together since I was 18. Anyway, get drafted to the NFL, and that was like my heaven, but yet still... The money I sitting home was never enough. I never could buy the right car for folks. I could never do enough. It didn't heal the broken relationships. Uh, didn't love my wife the way she deserved to be loved. Uh, struggled with forgiveness. But also, the NFL stands for not for long. Wow, yeah. What's the average NFL career? Uh, like three years. Three years, yeah. And so I live with this fear of who would I be if I couldn't play any anymore. But also, as we talk about a performance-based life, and I know that there are pe people listening who follow Christ and so those who don't, but we all have this issue 
We all want to be loved, but the problem is human beings make you earn their love. Only God has earned your love. We try to earn love and God goes, no, I want to earn your love to me. So my whole life was built on this. How fast can you run? How high can you jump? How hard can you tackle? How good do you play? My whole life was built upon in college. The college scouts looked at my high school film. Okay, you're good. In college, the pros looked at my professional film. Okay, you're good. And the pros, okay, you're good enough to stay on the team for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years. So my whole life was built upon performance. And I had a teammate with the Colts. His name was Steve Grant. His nickname was The Naked Preacher because every day after <laughs> practice, he'd take his shower, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist, and ask my t- teammates, do you know Jesus? Wow. And my mind going, bro, do you know you're half naked? <laughs> Put I mean, some it, clothes it was, on, and then I we'll mean, talk. I mean, 6'2", 240-pound black dude, white towel on his waist, black Bible, asking people, do you know Christ? And wow. so over a five-year relationship, he helped me see this. Jesus looked at all of your game film called life and you don't perform well enough. But while yet you were a sinner, but while yet your performance did not measure up to God, Christ died for you because he loves you. Romans 5. And man, when that hit me, when the spirit of God opened my eyes up and I responded to that, it was like, oh my goodness, this is the best news I have ever heard. One of the blessings, Matthew, of not growing up in the church is I didn't have a bunch of legalistic sermons and moralistic sermons to overcome. Sadly, and and I say this, uh, I say this with a hurt heart, is most sermons I listen to are not about Jesus. They're about um moralistic behavior. They're about health, wealth, prosperity. They're about keeping your hum- your your comfortable suburban life together. They are not about Jesus and what he's accomplished and his grace and his mercy yeah. and the glory and grandeur of J- Jesus. Obedience is the function of love. Obedience is the function of I am so in awe of Jesus, like Matthew, the tax collector. I'm leaving it and I'm following you like the fisherman. I'm dropping my nets and I'm following you. Why? Because I've never seen something so beautiful in my life. We don't preach a beautiful Jesus. We preach four or five points to fix your life. So here's here's one of the questions I normally ask at the very end, Derwin, but with you just talking about that, the naked preacher and having that moment where you didn't come from a church background, but it hits you. You're like, this is what I want. This is not to be measured by my performance, but um, just to embrace a God who loves me no matter what. I talk about a blue couch story and a blue couch story is uh, it, it sort of signifies just a defining moment where where you kind of. The scales fall off your eyes and you feel God knocking at the door of your heart and it just clicks. You understand it. And for me, having a different background as you, I grew up in church. And so my parents were always telling me, no, 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 this is not just a family connection. Like Jesus wants to be real to you. He wants a personal friendship and relationship with you. And so long story short, it was on a blue couch at the age of 13 years old, uh, just having a moment where I prayed and asked the Lord to come into my heart. That was a, a moment where I remember it. Uh, becoming real to me. And and so I'm curious, you talk about the naked preacher. Can you describe, I mean, don't describe that part anymore, but can you describe the moment, Derwin, where where you had, what was that blue couch moment for you? Where were you? And, and what was it that made you ultimately come to that point where you're like, this is what I want. I want to follow Jesus, just like Matthew, the tax collector, just like the disciples. This is what I want. August 1st, 1997, it was a preseason game against the Cincinnati Bengals, and uh, I ran downfield on a kickoff, and it had a really good return man by the name of Corey Dillon from the University of Washington. I hit him, and I spun off, and I jammed my big toe, and I was walking off the field, and there was a businessman that traveled with the Colts team, African-American guy. And uh, I looked at him and I said, I think God is trying to tell me something. 
The next day at training camp, Anderson, Indiana, um, Anderson College, on my way back from lunch, I was walking back to my dorm room with a limp, and there was just this huge chasm. And I got back to my dorm room, and I picked up the phone, and I called my wife, and I said, I want to be more committed to you, and I want to be committed to Jesus. And it just got silent. And the best way I can describe it is, is I felt the love of God shower over me. Like I felt when I was born again, it was like the world went from black and white to 4k. It just, it just, now of course my habits didn't change, Sure. but now there was a conviction of sin. So that was the moment that I was born again. But let me let me say this, too, because I think this is really important is my blue couch moment happened in a moment, but it was a long, beautiful drive to get there. Have you ever have you ever been to uh, uh, Yellowstone Park? Yeah, absolutely. I got kicked by a deer there once, but that's a story for another time. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone? No. So the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone basically looks like the Grand Canyon. So you drive around this corner, you get get there, you walk up some steps and all of a sudden it just it just hits you. And you're like, oh, my gosh, the the, the first time I saw it, I literally put my hand over my mouth because I was in awe. So but my point is this. Is looking back now, that moment was only possible because of the preceding moments. Jesus had been strategically placing people in my life now that I can only look back. Like, for example, I'm I'm not saying anybody should go see this movie, but there's a movie called The Five Heartbeats. It's by Robert Townsend Jr., and it's basically a rift on the temptations. And that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, I love musicals. My wife hates them. So, like, we're opposite. She wants to see, like, John Rambo or Die Hard. I want to <laughs> see uh, Dream Girls. So, so, in this movie, I look back now and I go, oh, my gosh, this is one of the best Christian movies I have ever seen. There's reconciliation. The preacher is literally standing up sharing the gospel. And one of the guys who was a drug addict and done some horrible things at the end of the movie, he's in the choir preaching the gospels. Well, it's not billed as a Christian movie, but now that I look back, I go, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit's putting seeds in my heart in college. That's what I love about like uh, one of my favorite scriptures in, in Hebrews that describes our God as the author and perfecter of our faith. And that word author, just that that realization, what you just said, it's it's all the little things leading up to that that blue couch moment. And then many more blue couch moments to come, moments where God reminds us, taps us on the shoulder, whispers to our hearts, reminds us that he's real, he's alive, he's active, and he's with us along the way. That as we step into 20, even, even on those days when we start to feel like we're far away from him, he promises never to leave us and never to forsake us. You know, I'm going to be honest. There are some titles that I like to answer to more than others. Titles like singer, songwriter, recording artist, podcast host, touring musician. But 2020 took me and all the other recording artists off the road, and it forced me to reluctantly embrace another title that I normally shy away from, and that's the title of CEO. And I know firsthand how difficult it is to find the right people and get them in the right position at your company. Well, if you're using anything other than Indeed for your hiring, you're wasting your time. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates instantly with Indeed Instant Match. So you can do the part you really need faster, meeting and hiring great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. And with Indeed, there are no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time and only pay 
for what you need. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates with zero weight. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash West. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash West. Indeed.com slash West. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right, you guys. Most people who know me know me because of one thing. My huge muscles. That's right. We're talking six-pack washboard abs. I know. It's not my music. It's the muscles. And now we're coming back to reality. And the reality is this. 2020, let's just say 2020 put a hit on the old dad bod. You know what I'm saying? So I'm stepping into 2021, working to get in shape. I'm trying to improve in every area of my life. And my physical health is one of those things. And I want to encourage you to do the same. I want to tell you about one of my new favorite things, Liquid IV. This is my favorite hydration product. With one stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water, you get two to three times the amount of hydration as plain water. That's right. Plain water is lame water compared to Liquid Liquid IV. And maybe Liquid IV is going to want to trademark what I just said. They've got awesome flavors. My favorite flavor, passion fruit. Because, well, I'm a romantic at heart. What can I say? Listen, I want to encourage you to check this out. You can grab your Liquid IV or their other great flavors, passion fruit, strawberry, uh, nationwide at Costco. Or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code WEST at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code WEST at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code WEST. You know, I heard you speak. You were a guest speaker at my church in Nashville for, um, was it just a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, it my, was right after Christmas. My family and I sat down, and we uh, expected to hear our pastor, uh, Kevin Queen, and he turns it over to you, and you shared a powerful message, and you talked about The Good Life, which is the title of your latest book, and um, when you share your story one, I loved the title of your book, and I love the authority with which you have, because of the way your story has gone chapter by chapter, to ironically title this book, The Good Life, and in doing so, dive into the irony of the world's search for the good life. For you to have had the kind of career that you've had in one realm, and now you're leading Transformation Church in South Carolina. God's gifted you as, as a powerful speaker to, to tell the world about his grace and this book, these books that you're writing. And I, I want to hear in a moment about some other books that I, I, on social media, you said you're working on some new projects as well. But so talk about this book, The Good Life, and the message you shared. You focused in on the Beatitudes in this book. And your story is woven throughout the book. I, I can't encourage people to pick up this book enough because as we step into 2021, the things that we're chasing that we think are going to bring us happiness, you start off at the very beginning by kind of leveling the conversation and saying, it's like chasing shadows. And talk about why you chose to center on the Beatitudes in Scripture when it comes to this conversation of this elusive happiness that the world continues to try to find in all the wrong places. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, um, I wish I could say that, you know, I'm really smart and genius. But the reality is this is back in 2014, I was discipling, I was counseling, I was mentoring, whether believer, unbeliever, male, female, rich, poor people were just unhappy. And a lot of what they wanted to find happiness in was success, accomplishments, people, those types of things. So I thought, well, what does Jesus say about happiness? Because Jesus knows what he's talking about, right? So hiding in plain sight in the Beatitudes, for those of you who are not as familiar with the Bible, um, the Beatitudes start what's called the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever preach. Jesus is on a little hill looking over the Sea of Galilee. His Jewish disciples are at his feet, and he begins to unfold 
what the kingdom of, of God is. And he starts with the Beatitudes, that Beatitudes are eight characteristics of a blessed or happy person. So Matthew 5, 3 says, says this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word blessed is the Greek word makros, and it literally means happy. Happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that hit me like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you're telling me that a part of my salvation and redemption in Jesus is as a citizen of his kingdom, as a child of his father, happiness is my birthright. But it's a happiness that's not based on good things continuously happening to me. The happiness that Jesus wants to get, get, give us is about God making us good for the world. And that hit me like, oh my gosh, that we can be happy because it does not deal with the things that we typically think are going to make us happy. It deals with God forming us into a people that look like Christ. Now, think about this. Happy are the merciful. Wow. Couldn't we use some mercy in our oh, marriages, man. in our relationships, in our government? Um, happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. One of the things that I say to, to Christians all the, all, the, all the time is this. One of the ways you can tell that you belong to the Father is that you are an active peacemaker. So if Jesus was to look at your Facebook page, would it look like peace? Wow. Yeah. And by the way, he is looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's not forget that he sees that he's aware of every single detail of our lives. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And so the Beatitudes paint a living portrait of what a good life looks like. And that good life has been gifted to us if we're willing to embrace it. And, and so the subtitle of the book is, is, is like, man, like you can, you can literally be happy, the good life, learning what Jesus teaches about happiness. And so writing this book made my heart very tender towards people who had hurt me in my past. Uh, it's restored my relationship with my mom. Wow. It has helped a lot of Christians understand that peacemaking is not passive. It's going into the conflict with reconciliation in one hand and love in the other hand. In the chapter on peacemaking and mercy, I also deal with um, America's original sin, racism, ethnocentrism, and prejudice. And there is a way forward for us and happy people break down walls, but they don't use a sledgehammer to do it. They use a cross. There's a couple of places I want to go based on what you just said. And but since you just brought that part up, I mean, let's can we can we talk a little bit about what we saw happen last week, Derwin, and really all throughout 2020? I mean, let's let's talk about. I turn on the TV. I was in the studio recording. My wife calls me. She's like, "Go, you got to turn the TV on." Yeah. And I turn the TV on and see, you know, the Capitol being invaded. And then it rewinds. You find out that the president was speaking and telling him to, yeah, to storm the gates. You know, in a matter of words. I mean, tell me your observation, your thoughts about. Let's talk about the original sin. Let's talk about wh where do you go in the book, and how do you address that in terms of peacemaking, uh, and what the beatitudes and what Jesus has to say about it. When I turned on the TV, and I seen a insurrectionist, domestic terrorist take over the U.S. Capitol and one sitting in the seat of the Speaker of the House. With a fist in the air. I had great sadness because I love my country. Also, as a Black man, my fourth great-grandfather was in the Virginia Calvary, and he fought for the union against the Confederacy. The Confederacy existed to be their own nation and to keep slavery alive. And my great, 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 great grandfather, Moses Davis fought against that. So I'm patriarch, I love my country. And to see a Confederate flag, which doesn't even represent America in the US Capitol, that's never happened. 
right? So on that end, I'm incredibly sad. On the second end, I'm sad that, and I'm not a supporter of Black Lives Matter movement. For me, love your neighbors, you love yourself is what moves me to protest injustice. But I will say this, the response and preparation for Black Lives Matter was much different from thousands of Trump people rallying. The response is different. I don't like using the word white privilege because it creates a barrier. But if you don't think there are certain people who get treated differently in our country based on their skin color, look at what happened at the Capitol. You go from armed fatigues to, I mean, and I love men and women in blue, but it looked like mall security cops protecting the Capitol. So thirdly, why are we surprised? I mean, President Trump has vile rhetoric and all these things since 2016. Like this train was going off the tracks for a long time. Lastly, and what breaks my heart the most is there are so many people who call upon the name of Jesus who have baptized Christianity with white nationalism and nationalism, and that needs to be repented of and rejected. What does it do when when you see people in the mall? I mean, you see Confederate flag next to a sign that says Jesus. Yeah. You know, which is yesterday, that's what you saw, equal amounts of both. Sadly, uh, uh, Matthew, for, for black Christians, what we see is uh, consistency. What do you mean? Well, what I mean by, by that is this, is there were denominations in America started to keep slavery. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're seeing consistency throughout the ages. Yeah. Yeah. And like when the civil rights was going on, the white evangelical church was silent with segregation, silent. Do you feel like that's still the case right now? I feel like that's changing. I think it's getting better. Like I have seen more white brothers and sisters wake up and, and say, no, Jesus isn't down with, with this. Like, I want to learn. I I want to lament. I, I want to leverage my life. I, I want to love. And so I am encouraged by what I'm seeing. Transformation Church in South Carolina. You've been the pastor there for how many years? Did you start this church? Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I uh, co-founded Transformation Church. Next month will be 11 years. And, uh, Neither my wife nor I wanted to be in pastoral ministry. Like, I didn't want to be a pastor. She didn't want to be a pastor's wife. We were perfectly fine with an itinerant ministry where I'd travel and speak, speak and she'd yeah. organize and she had her dis- discipleship groups. But um, after several years of traveling the country, we couldn't understand why the church was more segregated than the nightclub that we used to go to when we were unsaved. Like the unsaved nightclub was diverse, but Jesus's church was like, you got your option, white church, black church, this <laughs> church, that church. And as we read the New Testament, we saw this, that Jesus's church was Jews and Gentiles. What is a Jew? Well, we know what an ethnic Jew is. What's a Gentile? Everybody else. The Roman world was incredibly diverse. And Jews and Gentiles being united in Jesus to become the family that God promised Abraham was a miracle and a testament to the resurrection of Christ. And so we we thought, man, why isn't there more multi-ethnic churches? And we sense God saying, you're right, go start one and then start a movement. And, And so our church is saturated and soaked in the gospel. The gospel is not just Jesus forgives your sins. A part of the gospel is Jesus not only forgives your sins, but he gives you brothers and sisters with different colored skins. And these brothers and sisters are to learn to love and to walk with each other as a testimony to God's grace. Okay. And it's in South Carolina. And I'm just curious, like culturally, regionally, what type of an uphill climb was it to cast that sort of a vision for your church in the beginning? Was it welcomed? Was it embraced? Was it a long, slow climb to where you are now, 11 years later, where you've, you've seen, you're seeing it come to fruition, a multicultural church joined yeah. together? I think the Lord looks for spiritual naiveness because 
I'm not from the South. I'm from Texas, right? And it's different than here. But nevertheless, none of that stuff mattered to me. This is the only thing that mattered. Hmm. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. He sent his spirit. And if he built a multi-ethnic church in first century Jerusalem, he can do it in Mm -hmm. Indian land, South Carolina. And so that's where our focus was. And so our first service, 701 people came. There's probably over 7,000 of us now. Uh, we are an intentionally multi-ethnic church, multi-generational, socioeconomic. And I want to say this, it is because of Jesus Christ. It is because of the gospel. The good news is this. There's a new king, and this king has purchased a family for his daddy of every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's awesome. And so we disciple our church through politics. I make Democrats mad. I make Republicans mad. You don't shy away from it. Bro, we are not the party of the donkey or elephant. We're the party of the lamb. And we (laughs) disciple through shootings of unarmed black men. We disciple through uh, corporate extortion and, and those types of things. Like, if we're not discipling through the controversial issues, the devil's gonna continue to beat us up. And we can't be afraid to make people mad. It's okay if they get mad. I'm mad at my personal trainer. <laughs> right. The truth is, though, which, by the way, I need you to be my personal trainer, but the truth is, is you said you disciple through these things uh, versus which, so what you're, what you're not saying, but saying is that a lot of churches disciple around the hard topics. They don't you even know. talk about, about, <laughs> right. about it. And, and, and so I could care less how many campuses there are, how big it is, what conferences you speak at. This is what I I know. If you rarely talk about racism in your church, your church is filled with racists. Okay. If you don't believe me, spend four weeks talking about the gospel, Jesus, and racism, and watch the emails that you get. Good. I have a lot of white pastor friends who are calling me going, man, you said this like 10 years ago, and it's true. Like, I've had pastor friends who spent three or four weeks talking about racism after George Floyd and elders are wanting to leave and congregations are wanting to leave. And here's what I want to say, Matthew, and this is so important. I want to speak directly to my white brothers and sisters. Your identity is in Jesus, not in the success or failure of the United States of America. Hmm. America didn't die for you on a cross. Jesus did. Therefore, you don't have to feel guilty about the past. Therefore, you don't have to take it personal when past injustices are brought up. As brothers and sisters in Christ, our allegiance is to Jesus and to each other before a country. I love my country. I've already shared that my great, 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 great granddad died fighting the Confederacy to make this great union that we have. The issue is when my identity is in Christ, I can talk about the ugly things in my family without taking it personal and say, man, this will never happen on my watch. You, you, you know why? Because I love Christ, which should make me a better citizen. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this show to talk about the good life is Gosh, there's so many people that I'm interacting with who feel like, man, we're we're in the middle of anything but the good life right now. Yeah. And yet you talk about how God never wastes our pain. And you're able to say that having walked with your own wife through cancer. And I know this is a long question, Derwin, but the thing that I notice is so many people, COVID is just another thing on an already long list of burdens, on an already long list of injustices, on an already long list of financial struggles and, and illnesses. And, and like in your wife's case, a battle with cancer, you know, we're di- our ministry is helping a lady right now. She's, you know, she's got brain cancer in the middle of a pandemic. COVID is just another thing on her list that she's dealing with. So what's your prayer for for our nation right now, as we're in what seems like anything but the good life, and and what's your what would be one encouragement you would give to those who are just struggling to see any sign of the good life as we head into a new year? We want to we want to enter that new year with a new confidence and a new optimism and a new trust in the Lord. If I were to meet those people, and I know there's a lot of them, the first thing I, w- I would I would do, man, and you know I'm I'm like. 
49. I'll be 50 in April. So I feel like an adult now, you know, the first <laughs> thing that I, that I would, that I would do is just like when my kids are, are hurting, the first thing that they need is not a lecture, but a hug is, is I would embrace them. I would hug them. I would weep with them. As a matter of fact, a part of the good life is happier those who mourn for they will be comforted is I would mourn with them. I would lament with them. I would cry with them. And after we cried, I would look them in the eyes and I would say, we live in a fallen world. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble, but take courage for I have overcome the world. And I will say there's nowhere in the Bible that God says that a fallen world is going to be like the new heavens and new earth. So we should expect turbulence on this flight to the new heavens and new earth. But the good thing is we're not flying alone. Jesus said, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. The Holy Spirit dwells as the Father is in us and we are in him. And so we have to recalibrate, Matthew, is that for many Christians, and from many pulpits, we have baptized the American dream and made it Christianity, and it's not. Let me just give you an example from my from from my wife's uh, granddad. He was born in 1914, so that means he experienced World War One. That means he experienced the Spanish flu that 50 million people around the world died. He experienced the Great Depression. He experienced World War II. He experienced segregation, Jim Crow, women not being able to vote. He experienced the tumultuous 60s. He experienced the Vietnam War. He experienced the gas crisis of the 70s. He experienced the Gulf Wars of the 80s. <laughs> and so that's just in this century leading into this one. So there's nowhere in the Bible and nowhere in human existence that we're not going to suffer. And so when we view the good life as I'm comfortable, we're missing it. That's a deception. And so that's why the Beatitudes are laid out the way that they are, that the good life is you and I becoming good for the world. That's what the good life is. The good life is independent of my situation and all dependent upon what Christ is doing in me to make me like him, I become the answer to people's prayers. I become the change that I want to see. I become the hope that I long for. In other words, I become the person I was meant to be. That's what salvation is. Salvation isn't simply God get me off this planet. Salvation is God getting himself into us. Come on, on planet that's, Earth. man. That's awesome, man. That's that's what I needed to hear today, and I know somebody else needed to hear that. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for being on the show, and uh, I'm so glad that we got the chance to connect. I was glad you showed up at my online church service, and this is what life looks like. So thanks for encouraging everybody, and I know you're going to join me, and we're going to be praying for our country in the days and weeks ahead. Would you want to just close us out yeah. in, uh, in prayer today? Absolutely. Um Father, in the name of Jesus and through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, I lift up the listeners, I lift up the church in America, and I lift up America. Lord, um, I pray that as the Apostle Paul prayed, I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner being as Christ makes his home in your heart through faith, and that you would know with all of God's people how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ, and that you would be filled to the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly above and beyond all we think, hope, or imagine as he works mightily within me, as he works mightily within us, all glory to Christ Jesus through his church. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Dr. Derwin L. Gray, this was good, man. I needed it. Thanks for joining me today. Me too. Appreciate it, bro. Hey, now it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's song from the Story House is brand new. He's making you new He's making you new He's healing your heart Right where you are If only you knew He's lifting your shame He's changing your name And when you look back The only thing that you see Is His grace Has been making 
The story of Brand New is the story of a blue couch. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you would know that at the end of every interview, I ask every guest the same question. What is your blue couch story? Now, for me, a blue couch story signifies a defining moment, a defining moment in your life and in your faith. It's the moment where God becomes real to you and you make a real decision to follow him. That moment for me took place on a blue couch in the living room of my tiny home in the Chicago suburbs. As a 13-year-old preacher's kid, I was never really concerned about a personal friendship with Jesus. I guess I just figured I'd get to heaven because, well, I was in the family business. I had the right family connections, but my parents always encouraged me from a young age to know that God loves me so much that he didn't want just a long-distance relationship with me. He wanted to be my best friend and the author of my story. Well, one day I came home from school and I sat down on the blue couch in the living room of our home. I flipped on the TV and started looking for a Chicago Cubs baseball game. By accident, I found a Billy Graham crusade instead. Now, as a preacher's kid, I would usually immediately change the channel when there was another preacher on TV. But there was something different happening on this day. I could feel God knocking at the door of my heart. My mom was doing laundry nearby and happened to notice that I was watching this preacher on TV. I think she knew something special was taking place. So she put down her laundry basket and she came and sat by my side on the blue couch and asked me, do you want to pray? That day, a too cool for school 13-year-old kid looked at his mom with tears in his eyes and said, yes. I held my mom's hand and prayed along with Billy Graham as the choir sang Just As I Am in the background. That picture, that image of me as a 13-year-old kid sitting on the blue couch praying with my mom is what inspired the words to the first verse of this song. When you close your eyes Do you go back there To a bended knee And Lord, I need you whispered prayer Remember the moment you let Jesus in Would you give anything to go back there again? I wonder if you know what I'm talking about in that verse, the feeling that maybe at one point your faith was strong, your belief was strong, the fire was burning in your soul, but you wake up one day and you feel like a million miles away from the hour you first believed, when your faith felt most alive. Some days, I feel so far away from that 13-year-old kid sitting on the blue couch who didn't know much, he just knew he needed Jesus, and then he wanted the whole world to know about his new best friend. Some days, I beat myself up. Actually, I'm the king of beating myself up. I feel like I should have this whole life thing figured out by now. I expect myself to be perfect, and when I fall short of that, the enemy tries to make me believe that God sees me differently than he did when I was that 13-year-old kid. Take a listen to this second verse. This was a message my heart needed to hear. It needs to hear it often in the moments when I beat myself up and wonder if maybe I should be further along. Check this out. Maybe you need to hear it too. When it just doesn't feel like the old you is gone And shame keeps telling your heart that you should be further along You can fix your eyes now On the truth you know That you are held by the hands of a Savior that won't let go The heartbeat of the song is really this. You and me, we are not the finished versions of ourselves. We're on a journey. Our stories are still unfolding. We're still becoming more like Christ. God knows everything about us, and because of that, He knows that we're far from perfect. But as hard as it might be to believe, Scripture reminds us that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I love that verse. Scripture also reminds us that he still sees us as his beloved children. Check out 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. No matter how far from brand new we might feel, he still sees us as his beloved children. The irony is this. I spent so much time wishing I could go back to that kid on a blue couch as if I thought maybe God stayed on that blue couch when I got up and walked away. But here's the message of grace. God didn't stay on that blue couch. He walks with me and he talks with me. He never leaves me and he never forsakes me. And every day he's making me and he's making you more and more like him. He's making us brand new.
Hey, you guys know he's my dad and he gives good advice. And that's why this last segment of the Matthew S. Podcast is Dadvice. He's my dad and he gives good advice. And that's why this segment is called Dadvice. What's up, Dad? Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Matthew. It's good to be here. We've had a great show so far. Can you send us out with some encouraging dad advice today? Yes, I'd, I would love to. Um, our theme would be take a brand new look in the mirror as we start this new year. Taking a good look in the mirror <laughs> is a good idea, uh, both physically and spiritually. <laughs> our, our verses for today are James 1, 22 through 24. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens in the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Uh, the new year, of course, is a time for self-inventory and uh, both physically and spiritually. And we want to be challenged spiritually to look in the mirror of God's word. Jesus is telling us that God's word is like looking in a mirror. God shows us what condition we are in and instructs us on ways we need to change. Mm. So the first thing, look in the mirror of God's word daily. The Bible is the only true mirror, and we need to take a good look in it, just like we do before we go out to begin to start our day. We look in the mirror and make sure we look okay physically. We we also need to be careful to look into the mirror of God's That's Word good. daily yeah. before we start our day and try to accomplish or try to handle the trials that are before us. Our second point is don't be an auditor, but be a doer. Jesus calls us to action. It's not enough just to hear God's Word. He encourages us to be doers and not hearers only. The Greek word for hearer has one of the meanings of auditor today, someone who merely sits in a class to gain information but never interacts mm. with the material. God wants his people to go beyond auditing to obeying. A couple really good words here, uh, good quotes. Simply listening to the Word of God has not lasting value. When we open the Bible, we must intend to do what it says. And one more quote, the Bible is more than a book to carry to church. It gives its readers a way to follow the heart of God and the footsteps of Jesus. And I want to end with a daily prayer. When we look into the mirror of God's Word, Psalm 139, 23 and 24 gives us a powerful prayer to pray every day. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Yeah. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Thanks, Dad. Yes, thank you, Matthew. You guys, we did it. Show number two of 2021 is officially in the books. I want to thank my guest, Derwin Gray, for joining me and sharing his story. How awesome is he? Man, I'm going to tell you what. I'm reading his book, The Good Life, right now, and I want to encourage you to do the same. I want you to pick up a copy of the book. Let's read it together. It's a perfect read to start 2021 with the right mindset, The Good Life. We're going to post a link at the official podcast page, which is matthewwest.com slash podcast. Also, as always, want to thank my dad for joining me. He always brings an encouraging message that speaks into my life, and that's why I wanted him on the show, because I believe he's going to speak into your life, too. Together, my dad and I have a ministry called Pop We, and we are a community of storytellers helping to reach out to people who are dealing with broken chapters in their story and really don't know what to do. We want to help people know that their story matters and that God can bring about a powerful healing for the broken chapters of their stories. One of the ways we do that is by sending out a free weekly email devotional called Day One Devos. If you sign up for that, you'll begin receiving just a weekly little quiet time reminder to spend time with Jesus. And here at the beginning of this new year, just like dad's been sharing we're going to take a brand new look at god and we're going to do that by spending time with him so we'd love to have you sign up to receive those free weekly day one devos i'm going to post a link to that at matthewwest.com slash podcast as well with that have a great rest of your week you guys are awesome thanks for joining me and making this podcast journey such an exciting one now remember it's your story for his glory go make the most of the one life you get god bless you and i'll see you next week
Seriously, I, I, I do.